Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Maria Melania, founder of the Savvy Hotelier and guest experience consultant. Coming up on today's show... Maria reveals her least favourite interview question. The worst question you could ask me in an interview is like, what's your five-year plan? And I'm like, oh God, a ten-year plan, I don't even know what I'm having for breakfast. Phil tells us that he likes talking to a certain dairy product. And, it, you know, whilst I'll always happily entertain a conversation with any big cheese. And we question whether it pays to be Maria's friend. It became a place that I meet my friends and we talk about life while we're punching and kicking each other. All that and so much more as we chat through Maria's story and journey to date. Having already built a career ahead of Covid, Maria certainly used 2020 to upskill and I for one am a huge fan of what she's been getting up to. Give her a follow on Instagram and LinkedIn for some brilliant hospitality content. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode every Wednesday telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we welcome someone who has definitely used COVID as a means to develop and upskill, having up to that point developed a career within the luxury segment within Intercontinental Hotels Group. Now, she finds herself at the helm of her own initiative, the Savvy Hotelier, as well as also offering her services as a guest experience consultant. And as well as hosting a wonderful video series with a company called Raise Up, which I was lucky enough to be a guest speaker on. That gives me huge amounts of pleasure to welcome Maria Melania to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. I've been kind of confused about the latest weather, but I'm uh, looking forward to the summer. Yeah, well, I think nobody gave the, um, the weather the memo, right, that hospitality was allowed to open outside. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that that first time, that Monday that was open, it wouldn't have mattered if it was hail or not. People would still go outside and have a drink. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Another podcast goes by and I've started it by talking about the weather. I am <laughs> definitely British. My fault. My fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> so where in the world are you today? Um, I'm in London. Yes, I'm in London. Yeah, and that's uh, your your normal place of residence, or is that a COVID COVID move? Um, it's been my normal place of residence for five and a half, almost six years now, um, right. which was surprising to me. I mean, it is surprising looking back. I kind of moved here because I got a job, and that's what people do when they graduate. They get a job, but they move, whatever, without really having much of a plan. So, But now I'm here, and I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, great. Well, I uh, I'm just going to dive straight in, and uh, we'll talk about everything that you're you're up to now, on the back of obviously what you kind of got your head into on the back of COVID. But before that, of course, there's a whole journey to get there. So take us all the way back to to the beginning. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Yeah, and it really takes me back to when I was probably about sixteen, seventeen, and that was sort of the first summer job that you were looking at between the couple of last years of high school and you're trying to figure out what that job is and you have absolutely zero experience. I have no idea how to get the job. Um, yeah. And I kind of saw myself working with people and it's just something I go back to is like working with people. I didn't see myself sitting in an office, working behind a computer. I didn't see myself doing any salesy things. I just wanted to kind of talk to people. And for some reason, restaurants and sort of service was the way for me to that kind of, I visualized that being 
working with people. And my first job was at an amusement park in Stockholm, Sweden, where I'm from. Okay. And uh, that was my first summer job. And then luckily... Which, which part within the, uh, the, the park did you work? I did fast food, but I did various locations within the fast food. So I kind of got that first... I got training in in both the kitchen side as well as the service side because they rotate you wherever you're required essentially um yeah. so they you fry burgers you fry <laughs> you fry fish and chips you fry whatever there's lots of frying going on um <laughs> <laughs> there's also popcorn and things and i think popcorn and ice cream was some of my favorite because you end up smelling like at least sugar versus smelling like fries um yeah. when you go out after work immediately after obviously <laughs> at your um, you know, 9 p.m shift closing so yeah i really enjoyed that i really did thought uh, like i found something that i really want to do and those were the last sort of those are two two summers before university that i did that and they're, they're busy roles as well i guess right when especially peak season you, you just get slammed from like 10 o'clock through till five o'clock or something yes of course and especially sunny days like everyone wants to be at the amusement park on a sunny day and a pro tip anyone just go on a rainy day there'll be far (laughs) far fewer shorter queues there'll be almost no one you can get to ride anything pretty much any minute um coming back to the weather again i know um... but it's important it's in actually i have to uh, add to this random weather comment in stockholm weather is a bit weird as well it would be have this like it would be sunny and then it's raining in five minutes and then in an hour it's nice and sunny so it's just kind of it's a big part of our life and hospitality I feel like especially in the entertainment industry yeah yeah so you you were there for how long two summers um I did two summers and what they do is like once you're hired you're welcome back anytime without necessarily needing to apply for for the job again so next summer they just send an email like do you want to be part of the team again and you say yes and then yeah yeah, they give you a job (laughs) and that's brilliant i feel like almost now i could probably even go back and get a job (laughs) well there's a the partly there's a staffing crisis out there so i'm sure anyone would take you back yeah you never know if you need a break to go back to stockholm i could probably do that yeah Yeah, so um, that kind of took me into the hospitality space. And my other dream, my other long-term dream was to get paid to travel. And travel and tourism was sort of a way in. So I started my uh, university studies studying tourism and kind of moving across um, to Finland to pursue that hospitality degree. So with my front office experience from the amusement park and went straight into my first internship in a restaurant and then I went straight into my second internship at a fine dining restaurant because I wanted to learn fine dining so I really kind of went head in into the F&B space um, mm. and really enjoyed it I really kind of love that interaction with people and really keeps you on your toes <laughs> that's definitely one thing it definitely does yeah and, the, and that paid to travel thing I think actually at, at that stage of life it's such a great motivational tool to to have that as your kind of in your sight that I want to see the world but I want to get paid while I'm doing it I don't just want to you know throw my clothes in my backpack and see where it takes me Mm. and actually I will looking back I mean of course I have been paid to travel on business trips I was a bit naive of what I would look like and we can we can go back to when I tell you about my favorite work trip um later on but um for me I'm making making a note of that yeah (laughs) it's a good one I'm still jealous of myself having done that trip um but 
yeah, it was just something I wanted to do. And I really love meeting new people and traveling. And I saw myself that, well, if I get a tourism hospitality degree, surely I can travel and see the world with my education. And I had to get an education. It wasn't really an option in, in that sense. So really, yeah, went, I wanted to have practical experience and I wanted to study anywhere, <laughs> anywhere, to be honest, I could um, easy to get into and not have to worry too much about a particular academic side of things, more like practical experiences. Mm. And yeah, that, that I went, ended up in Helsinki in Finland at the Hagaheli University there and um, graduated now five and a half, six years ago, almost. Right. So yeah. Um while there I had a lot <laughs> this is where most of my sort of uh, hospitality interesting experiences have happened was mostly because I don't speak Finnish, I didn't speak Finnish, I had to kind of learn a little bit to get by. But despite the fact that the second language of the country is Swedish, that doesn't really help me <laughs> very far. I, well, I I've been told that as as languages go, it's about as difficult as a, a language is to, to learn. Yes, yes, it is very difficult. You really need to have the mindset to want to learn it, but also you need to have the right teacher. And it is so, so critical. I don't think I had either. And (laughs) (laughs) maybe it was maybe it was just the mindset. I'm not sure. But you have to kind of decide early on, do you want to learn Finnish and stay in Finland or not? Because if you want to stay in Finland, you have to learn Finnish. And if you don't learn Finnish, you can't stay in Finland. So that was, I made that decision early on, knowing, knowing that I would move on to wherever I wanted to move on afterwards. So for me, it was more of a passing grade. And if any of my lecturers listen, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it was always my intention to just pass this course and just move on. Um, to serve its purpose to, to move you to the next phase. Exactly. Yes, it did. And um, I did learn whatever I needed to learn to do my job because my internship, my fine dining internship turned into a job that was a paid job, part time, sometimes felt like full time. But, you know, hourly wage is what kind of gets you by. Sometimes it's five days a week. Sometimes it's one day a week. And um, I learned the words I needed to know and they learned what I need to understand. I, I could translate some basic things, but I really struggled with that communication side of things and I think that's one of the reasons it didn't really gel for me with the teams that I was working in the restaurants and I did two three different fine dining restaurants in Helsinki is that I'd never understood what was going on unless it was directly translated to me and it was only translated to me when they thought I needed to know something right and it's quite challenging to yeah. like okay I know you're talking about something I'm catching words I'm catching sentences and you get really good at understanding something you completely don't understand by tone of voice and body language and things. Um, You're like, I think you're talking about me. (laughs) I think you're talking about table number three. Is that it? And yeah, it just, it just don't, doesn't really fit with me uh, because I think I was kind of outside of the team in that sense. Um, Right. And I I kind of fell fell out of it. I could seem, I could pick a specialization in my degree, which was um, either hotels, restaurants or tourism but because I've had all this restaurant experience, I didn't want to put myself too much into that specialization yet again by picking a restaurant specialization in my studies and kind of mm. just having that one path I just wanted to explore. I still had no idea what I wanted to do long term. I had no idea what I what could be done. Um, yeah. And I saw that if I do that, if I pick restaurant specialization and I keep working in restaurants, I'm just going to be restaurant manager and I didn't see anything beyond that. I mean, now I know there's a lot more beyond that, but I didn't see myself um, doing that. I didn't see myself. I didn't know what to do after that either. 
Um, yeah. So I just. Well, that's that's the yeah. age old adage of uh, you don't know what you don't know, right? But equally, you've got to have a you've got to be able to visualize where you're going. I think it's massively important in 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 where you you're helping you get to where you want to get to. Mm-hmm. I think so, and um, I just wanted to get new experiences. I wanted to understand what else I am capable of, and I was all, I was interested in all kind of curious in events and stuff, and I volunteered to get my experiences outside of restaurants. I volunteered with different student organizations and sort of uh, student-run organizations, whether that was the student union or anything else, because there was so many opportunities at my uni to do that, but they were they weren't given to me I was I went to seek them out because I yeah. wanted to learn something else and I realized I was like oh yeah I can do so many more things oh I can actually do that and it kind of snowballed from there yeah so where where did you go what happened next upon graduation I was pretty much looking for any job anywhere kind of thing mm. <laughs> um I was curious to try out anything in hospitality I hadn't had any hotel experience i worked in hotel restaurants but hadn't had any hotel experience um, i actually think that's a, it's a really useful mindset to have though when you're right at the beginning of your career is you know I, I am absolutely equally convinced that there are people out there who have a plan and have a very clear plan and they know exactly where they're going and you know what they need to to get there but for a lot of us and i definitely put myself in this category as well you know it, especially at that time of life I even after graduating, I still didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so, like you, I mean, I, I think you know, I I just wanted to, I suppose, have as much experience as I could, in the hope that you know, within that experience, you then find something that you go, yes, that's the path for me. I agree completely. Agree, and I think there's a lot of us out there who feel pressured to have a plan, to have a yeah. um, stri- strict, super clear vision and kind of follow those five, six steps in the next 10 years. And the worst question you could ask me in an interview is like, what's your five-year plan? And I'm like, oh God, a 10-year plan. I don't even, <laughs> don't, even, I don't even know what I'm having for breakfast. You know, like, ask me something simpler, please. <laughs> um, I find it much more liberating even just for me to think about, okay, what am I enjoying? to learn right now and how can I make the most out of it why am I not enjoying why am I not enjoying that but of course in, in like in hindsight that's easy to say but at that moment I just wanted to do anything and I wanted to learn something I went into everything like I could have taken any job that was given to me and I would have just said yeah I'm learning what it is like I don't know if I want to do it but I need to experience it to know if I want to do it yeah and that's yeah, how that I ended up sense. in London <laughs> right okay was that that wasn't the the next move was it you mm-hmm. you did did something first um between finishing my education and moving to london i had two weeks of summer job at a cruise ship <laughs> did you really uh, yes and then, now you're talking my language <laughs> <laughs> i was supposed to be four but it ended up being two and um it was just some it was a really interesting experience it was sort of the last of my student years, months, I suppose. And I knew that. I, I consciously understood that. Okay, once I get a job, that's it. That's my first job. I need to pay my own rent. I need to do all of these things. All my student benefits are disappearing. I'm yeah. taking advantage of my broke student life and I'm, and I'm doing nothing. I am enjoying my free time, so to say. But I did need some income. So I did get a job with living in Helsinki at the time I got a a job on a cruise ship that goes between Helsinki and Stockholm which is my hometown um 
on the face of it, that sounds like a, a like quite a cool thing to land then, because you you get the opportunity to to see home as well. Yes, and I I would I would normally go home maybe once a quarter or so, and there was an opportunity to go home. I don't know, twice a week. <laughs> I can't remember yeah. what was the frequency. Um, and you can get off the ship because it's uh, in, in Stockholm, it's just it's docked. It doesn't really go anywhere. And I mm. would have three, four hours. And it was very surreal to just go home for lunch, see my mom and go back to the boat and then <laughs> go back home to Helsinki. It was very, very confusing. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, it only lasted two weeks. But it was really interesting to learn that experience, to meet people who really live that cruise ship life their whole lives and really enjoying it. And it was just another thing for me to experience to understand and really uh see if i wanted to do that at some point and i think i know you did long term long distance cruising not not a 12 hour kind of thing but yeah it's, it's something definitely an experience to have i think it's hard to describe yeah very much so i i, I still maintain i can't think of especially for someone who didn't have a have much of a plan i can't think of a better career start than, than getting a job on a, a, a cruise ship. And I started out life as a receptionist and uh, totally was living my best life because I, you know, I got, like you, I really enjoyed talking to people. So I, I got to speak to people all the time, solve problems, keep learning. And I was waking up somewhere different every day. And that was, uh, that was so cool. I I'd, I'd still probably would like that to a certain extent. It's just the, um, you know, there are other things that come up in your life where, they take more precedence but as a as a young person I think it's such a wonderful starting point for a career Absolutely. and I also feel like there's uh there's maybe a story here because you said that you were there for two weeks but you were supposed to be there for four <laughs> yes there's definitely a story there <laughs> I can you share I'm, or, or I'm, you share, I'm just I'm, no no I'm happy to share I'm just trying to say what's the right way to frame it but essentially in in the simplest of things I didn't really enjoy myself that much because it was really okay. hard it was really really hard work but I thought oh, I'll just do it for four weeks it's it's, it's fine because I got I had to get used to you know the, the ground under your feet moving 24 7 that was a yeah. whole other thing very difficult like, oh. if you're carrying stuff as yeah. well carrying things is just it's swinging and your feet hurt like you've never hurt before it's it was insane considering i've worked on my feet for a long time i was very shocked uh, to yeah. experience that but um outside of that it was i actually just twisted my ankle on the way to work <laughs> oh. <laughs> which it was so um oh, well that, I, yeah oh, that's that's not, not what I was ang angling not, for at all. No, but I, I, I was cleared to go back to work after one week off. But I just told the doctors, like, can you tell them I can't make it? I just, I just don't want to go back for one week. Um, right. And I played that card because, uh, frankly, it's like 12 to 15 hours on your feet. And I uh, twisted yeah. my ankle, kind of falling. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really that keen on going back and really struggling through that for another week, to be honest. Um, yeah. yeah and, the, and the cultural, um, there was a lot of cultural clashes for me there because, again, they expected me to know Finnish and they knew that I didn't really know Finnish when they hired me, but there was a lot of issues with other employees who thought that I should know Finnish. So there was a little bit of that in terms of the story that I didn't really fit in. And it was right. very clear that I didn't fit in. And other team members who were seasonal workers, who are regular workers, they they didn't understand why I was hired in the first place. They're like, why, what is she doing here? Like, Maria, you don't, you don't. <laughs> How did they hire you? Like, I, I yeah. don't know. It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. um, I felt a bit like that, to be honest. So, right. yeah, it uh, wasn't in the right place for me. 
Yeah, no worries. That, that, that happens, <laughs> right? And and it, you know, it's an it's probably an inevitable part of career building uh, at some point that you 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 land somewhere that that you're not meant to be. Even mm. you know, with all the best planning and all the best research in the world, it just happens sometimes. Yeah, and um, I take it as an experience as much as I'm um, not a big fan of taking cruises in places as a main mean of transportation, but they're a great experience uh, for holidays and things like that as well if you want to kind of just relax. Everything is there in one place. <laughs> so it is It is a uh, wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like going on the, uh, the the most expensive coach tour you've ever been on, ex- you know, except you take your bedroom with you uh, as well <laughs> rather than um, than just a chair. And a suitcase. Yeah, and, and um, being from the Nordics, there's lots of cruise cruises that go between um, Helsinki, Stockholm, Riga, Tallinn, and stuff. So I've been on quite yeah. a few. So I feel like I've just maxed out of my 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 cruising for now. Um, maybe yeah. later on in life. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so where did you go next? Um, and well, actually, this is this is I just remember it's a really uh, nice coincidence on the day that I was gonna go. It was my ankle that I went on the ship with all my things, which I was going to bring things back home, which was the convenience of going back to Stockholm to see your family um, mm. in the middle of the day. Was I then left the boat halfway through, kind of uh, middle of the day before it, before it left to go back home because my ankle was completely swollen. I really couldn't stand or walk on it. And my job in London called me and offered me a job. And that exact okay. same day. <laughs> so that was fantastic. I was Timing. so thrilled. I was like, I am not going back on that boat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think that was the reason as well. Um, I did, I did. I was very lucky. I mean, even the two weeks that I did work, I earned a good amount of money to kind of afford that move to London, to have those expenses covered and things like that. So I don't regret it whatsoever. I think it was a fantastic experience. It was a means to an end. It served its purpose. And, yeah. um, and you got some experience out of it. And it allowed you to to move to the next phase. Yeah, for sure. And I had uh, worked at that point in um, three different restaurants in Helsinki, and I forgot to mention a short stint in Norway over the summer, um, <laughs> which which was just one of those things, again, you do when you can, just because you can. Um, right. I, I wanted to just go somewhere. I was like, where can I work that I can understand the language of? Because I was currently living in Finland, like I need a new environment. And um, I just went to Norway, which like many Swedish people do, we go to Norway and get a job for a while. Right. That's, that's what I did. That's, that's just what you do. What? So what, did you have to learn Norwegian or do you know it already? No, so Swedish and Norwegian are very similar. So you can right, actually okay. get by with a lot of Swedish. I did have to learn, um, it was a seafood restaurant, so I had to learn a lot of Norwegian fish names. Right. But. I wouldn't be able to translate them to anything. I would just know what is like what the fish is in Norwegian. Um, yeah. But we we would communicate most of the guests in whether it was Norwegian, Swedish, or Danish because we had a couple a Danish employee as well at the hotel uh, or the restaurant. Right. So yeah, it was um, it was a mix of all sorts of Nordic things there. It was really brilliant. It was a fantastic experience, working six days a week, super hot summer, seafood, drinks, Norway. Very expensive, but very also really expensive. good salaries yeah. at the same time. So right, you're kind so of like fairly relative. Yeah, you're you're a bit like, oh, I can't believe I just paid this much money for a beer. But then you look at your bank account, and you're like, mm, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's, yeah. of, it's confusing. It's in very confusing in your brain. Like, what, what's well, happening? <laughs> we used to get on on cruise ships when we went to Norway. We used to get complaints on board the ship that Norway was too expensive. 
which is obviously something that we had massive control over. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, but I also remember uh, going off in Norway for the first time and going, "Wow, six pounds for a coffee? Okay, yeah, okay." Mm-hmm. And that was bear in mind. This is twenty twenty years ago now. I mean, um, it's uh, it's the same. It's still the same. It's crazy. Even if, I don't know. I haven't really been to Switzerland, but I would compare it to Switzerland in the sense that. The wages are high, but so are the expenses. <laughs> yeah, they are comparable to most countries in in that sense. You don't live cheap, cheaply; you also live at that same rate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you moved to London. So yeah, I moved to London. I got a job at the Intercontinental Hotels Group corporate office. Um, yep. and in Denham. In Denham, right? correct? Yep. Yes, uh, just slightly outside of London. I think technically still considered London. Um, I think it, it's in, inside M25. I think it's it is, um, yeah. then then that's that's the definition. I, although I don't really know. I think I, we. I feel like I've had this conversation with somebody else on the podcast, and we just made it so we just went, yeah, inside M25, it's London. I think so. I think that's the gist. Regular for offices who are that are based sort of outside of the city centre. They're like, we are in London. We are twenty five minute train trip away. If you catch the train on time, only take the speed train sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, okay, you're in London. Um, no, it's, it's just ha- like L- London Stansted Airport, which is right mm. next to where I live, which is not. That's the other side of the M25. It's not anywhere near London. Actually, it's an hour out, pretty much. Exactly. Um, but Pretty there we are. Economical with the truth. Um, no, but actually it's really interesting base for for an office because it's gorgeous in the middle of sort of, of a huge field. There's a park, there's a golf course. You can really enjoy the weather and you don't really feel that London busyness that I would yeah. feel whenever I would occasionally go into town to go for work and I was like, oh, how can people do that? <laughs> to go in onto the tube every single day. Because like, you have this huge outdoor space that's constantly being used and you can go for walks and so on. So um, it was a really interesting experience. But for me... Well, so that- this is a, a good advert for IHG now as, as a, an employer <laughs> for the future because everybody's going to want some space in their life now. There is plenty of space in Denham, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for me, that was mostly... It was a huge... Like moving countries was not big a deal. I've moved countries before. I've heard, like this would be my sixth country. I've lived in the UK, and um, the the biggest sort of shock or learning experience for me was the job and the office itself, and what is actually happening in the office. And like, wow, there's so many people that do all of these cool things, and I didn't even know you could do that. And it just everything snowballed onto me within the first few weeks, months. I was just blown away. I felt like I learned a whole new degree in the first two months. I <laughs> just like, I right. thought I just spent three years earning a degree. Like, why, why is this so um, different to what I was taught? Yeah. It was a whole whole other ball curve there. But that's the, uh, the I think, the, the fabulous thing. And perhaps what the world doesn't know is that the, you know, behind this industry of you know, what you go and experience as a consumer is a whole plethora of roles and jobs and you know opportunities and career paths and and all of these things and it's it's one of the the things that I wanted to to tell on on the podcast was just to get that point across you know that it, it's especially in a head office I think at, at one point in time the IHG office would have had about three and a half thousand people in there mm. you know and you think okay at the time a few years back they were the biggest 
hotel company on the planet uh, before some other mer- mergers and acquisitions took place. <laughs> yes, there was a bit of competition there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, three and a half thousand people to support a global company, uh, basically, you know, from, from that office in Denham. But think about, that's not even anybody on property. Mm-mm. Think of all of this support function that goes on within a within a, a business. And, you know, and that covers off sales and marketing and legal and compliance and God, you name it. Standards, operations, everything you can think of and more that you can't. It's really incredible. And I think that's one of the biggest things that blew me away because I feel like if I look back at my my degree, I didn't even know corporate offices existed. And I don't know if my, my personal ignorance, I did really enjoy my student life. In the more traditional sort of sense, of <laughs> I, I, I don't I think they talk. I don't remember in my my degree them talking about corporate structures and you know head office functions and all of that sort of thing. It was a lot a lot more, I suppose, specific subject related rather than the types of organisations that you're going to go out into. Mm. And I suppose that's what work experience is for, right? So you you go and then experience the the subjects that you've learned to take them into a practical environment but um, yeah but but I wonder if this is put too much on the students to figure out um, rather than of yeah course, I mean it's... I don't I don't advocate spoon feeding <laughs> all of the information but necessarily kind of presenting them with opportunities in the in the digestible way um, mm. there's a lot that goes on you know in the fresh freshers week they throw everything at you and you kind of expect you to remember all your passwords you just created and things like that but then it kind of slowly dies down and then occasionally there's a careers week but they also throw a lot of stuff at you then there is there's not that balance and like okay let's sit down and have a think what are the opportunities as a restaurant as a someone with five years of being in a restaurant sort of as a waitress and service what can you do okay you can become a sommelier you can become a restaurant manager what can you do after that you know that that whole kind of more visual thing there yeah. are what skills do you have how can you apply them and i don't know if it's a gap whether there's more of, they're trying to only teach you operational stuff because that's what they feel like they should do or they just don't know don't feel confident enough to tell you about all that corporate stuff or mm. um Maybe something else. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it depends on the school. I, I understand that even in some of the kind of best schools in the world, they only tell you a certain perspective. Yeah. If anybody out there knows, then then get in touch. I mean, I, sound, I feel like I'm a radio show when I say something like that. But the um, but yeah, please, if anybody knows why these sorts of things are not covered in curriculum, then I'd love to love to understand. Yeah, and I'd love to help to kind of bridge that gap, essentially, with not just my knowledge, but just, I guess, bring the community together, say, students, there's so much you can do. And I know there's students are overwhelmed with so much right now. Um, mm. But maybe thinking of the bigger picture can be more, would be less stressful than thinking of the now, just realizing, actually, yes, there is a lot more potential, there are so many paths you can take. Um, yeah. And one of the biggest learnings and is to kind of just be flexible with the way that you take that path. I, like I said, I didn't have a plan, so I was pretty much open to anything. I actually yeah. thought I was going to go into HR side of things. I wanted to do training development. I wanted to uh, maybe even do a bit of recruitment and things like that because I was just, I wanted to work with people. <laughs> For me, in some strange way, that was more of an HR at that point in my life. But as life has it, after my uh, the role that I got into the corporate office with was a contract internship role. When that ended, there was an opportunity to get a full-time role with the luxury and boutique brand team. Okay. 
And I got that and I was just like, wow, okay, um, figured out what that was. And again, having even spent a year at that office, I was again blown away with what is possible, what I could be doing. Wow, is that what we can do? Is that what we do? And how does that work within the whole organization perspective and the whole industry bigger picture? Um, yeah, again, I was thrown into this whole new learning curve. I was like, wow, okay, I really like this. Oh, I can do experiences and impact guest, guest sort of perspectives without being the one who dis- who's delivering it. How can yeah, I do that? the one who has to <laughs> suffer the consequences, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, I haven't learned Of your decisions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, finish finish was definitely um a barrier for some of the guests uh customers that i worked with so um yeah yeah so what what was the actual job title um it was a brand a luxury boutique brand oh, what was it are you, are you sure <laughs> <laughs> uh, luxury boutique brand executive i believe that was the official job title yeah um, okay yeah, but and so brand... that that was that was a, a role that was specifically set up to look at the guest experience within that segment. Exactly. Yeah. So we looked after um, at the time Intercontinental brand and Hotel Indigo brand. So it was luxury and boutique. Uh, at that yeah. point, that was IHG's um, portfolio, and looking after meetings pro- programs, looking after brand standards, which, which I then was like, oh, wow, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, here, how do we manage is, those? <laughs> uh, here is the book, uh, and that's volume one of 20. Yeah, thankfully, yes. they're all digital at that point, but they weren't actually right. before, so it is true. There's, you know, meetings proposition, concierge proposition, SOPs, we would work together with operations team on the sort of third floor plus operations team, of course, in the hotels, um, developing those. And what does Club Intercontinental proposition look like? How do we deliver it? All of these really, really cool things. And I was just blown away with, like, I discovered what's a fo- what is a food stylist. I'm like, wow, you can be a food stylist? Wow. <laughs> like yeah. for photo shoots and things. It just, all of these uh, experiences was... Um, incredible to me and uh really really enjoyed it really, really it was really really fun and i learned a lot you can put some uh, hat and scarf on a piece of food <laughs> food styling yes if you're uh, innocent yeah <laughs> yeah also one of the worst jokes i've ever cracked on the podcast so there, there we are we can move on swiftly you can edit that out <laughs> <laughs> no I'll, I'll leave it in i'll leave it in it's fine I, i'm a i can cope with uh, a barrage of negativity mm. Uh, yeah, so you started in that role in terms of from a full-time perspective. What what yeah. happened next? And yeah, I guess I suppose in in some way my I grew up. Um, I've I went from working part time um, as a student and kind of working whenever I wanted to to having that contract, which I was really stressed about finishing because I realized I live in London, I have expenses, I want a job and all of these things kind of came to me. But once I got this role, I really understood, okay, now I have time to learn and develop myself and figure out what are the different opportunities that I can explore within my career and so on. And um, Mm. on a personal note, that allowed me to start kickboxing finally in my whole life. I've always wanted to do kickboxing. and (laughs) And that was the moment like, yep, doing it i found a club i signed up and it's been uh, i want to say four and a half years now really um really glad that that opportunity finally happened at that time 
That well, I think that that's also as especially as you get busier and busier in your career, that actually finding these moments of sanctuary are you know they're massively important uh, away from work and especially exercise. I think you know what mm. find out that thing that that you enjoy. Not everybody enjoys running. Not everybody enjoys boot camps and things like that. But find that thing that that gets your heart pulsing and gets the juices flowing because it's actually you know it's the thing that keeps you sharp and on your game. Yeah, and then the thing that makes you leave the work on time because you've got to be there, you've got to get there, and um, you know makes you get up in the morning if if you need to and things like that. I've had a bit of a love hate relationship with the gym, but I'm almost always at my kickboxing classes unless there's something else that's sort of preventing me to because it's become a social thing as well for me. It's not. Uh, yeah. It started as a sport I wanted to do, but it became a place I meet my friends and we talk about life and while we're punching yeah, and kicking each other <laughs> out of each other and yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it yeah, whatever it, works really, whatever works exactly yeah so that job was something that um then merged slightly because we've uh, there was a huge transformation in the company and boutique was separated from luxury and luxury grew because we acquired kimpton and starting to integrate the kimpton brand into the hg brands and yeah. then we later on also acquired the region brand and it became bigger luxury team and boutique became part of more of upscale uh, part of the team. So um, I focus more on the intercontinental side of things, helping out with all the other things um, as an if. Um, I became basically the point of contact for all of the intercontinental hotels in Europe and a point of contact for many, many things across the global intercontinental ISG uh, frame uh, sort of. Uh, network in terms of what about this standard what about this photography thing what about this thing so it was really fun to kind of have this to be this subject matter expert in so many areas about the brand it sounds very big and important yes I'm sure it was (laughs) (laughs) there was a whole team behind it for sure it wasn't just me obviously but it was um it was a whole experience and throughout that time I think I, I was in that brand management role for in total about three years before things started sort of shifting and changing but I then I kind of wanted to do more wanted to learn something else and I was looking to what that can be whether that's promotion within the within the team within the company but that's a sidestep to something else and I considered the more sort of marketing side of things where the campaign management and so on uh, but there wasn't really the right time there wasn't really yeah. a role available for me. And I think if the, if it were, I would have probably taken it. But it's just timing. Timing is part of life. And whether you like it or not, it changes the way our lives sort of pan out, especially careers. Um, yeah. And yeah, I kind of explored all sorts of options, went to some interviews. But what happened is that I got a secondment, which in the UK basically means you cover someone's maternity leave. <laughs> 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 it, it, it's uh, within the company's economy, it's not internal economy. Um, I had a lovely colleague um, went on the maternity leave and I took over her role within the loyalty side of things at ISG. Having come from brand and loyalty would be someone you work closely with, but not close enough because once I figured out what my job was, I was like, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. um, once again, what a learning curve. I realized loyalty is very technical. Very, very. I can imagine. Actually, it's something that I've always kind of wondered and contemplated about. And I've traveled a little bit beyond my cruise ship days, you know, around the world to various different places on business and pleasure. 
and sometimes I stay in branded places and sometimes I don't. And every time I stay in a branded place, I get offered the opportunity to join a, a loyalty program. But, you know, I'm, I'm always driven by location and price when it comes to business, generally speaking. So I always wondered about loyalty. How the hell do you make that work in a, you know, a really, really competitive space? That is, and that's that's not necessarily yeah. a question that I was looking for you to answer, because <laughs> I appreciate that that's quite a complex response needed, probably. And there's probably all sorts of cloak and dagger things that happen behind the scenes to to you know to make them stand out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's, I just find it fascinating. Mm. And yeah, and I think what I found very interesting as well is the competition comparison and loyalty side of uh, of the business is very different when competition comparison the brand because with the brand it's all about what is the consumer perspective perception what is the guest thing what's the OSAD score and things like that what are we how are we comparing against so Forbes standards and things like that but on loyalty it's literally numbers like we have more signups they have more signups how active are they their members versus our members what what are this what are the benefits <laughs> are we right. one-on-one on the benefits or are they better on the benefits and it's one of the examples i can give you is last year when you know lockdown started to take place travel basically ceased to exist who was the first one that came out with cancellation policies that were the, the best there was there was a lot of comparing on those consolation policies and should we give money back? How should it work? And that is literally loyalty is just that technical sign. You could, and then there's people then like me who is in that role. They take that technical loyalty and they train the hotel teams and tell them, okay, this is what we want you to deliver. How can you deliver that in the best way in the most luxurious experience mm. possible? Because I was, again, looking after the luxury side of things. I was looking after the ambassador program, which is the paid-for loyalty program, and the Kimpton Inner Circle, which is the invitation-only side of Kimpton loyalty. So for for me, that was, okay, what are benefits? What are we promising? How can we deliver that? And um, it was, yeah, it was a whole lot of learning experience. Like, we're promising you a free night. What is a free night? Well, in US, you can say free night. In Europe, you have to say complimentary night. And there's, there's a lot of legal right. stuff that also goes into it. So yeah, it's um, it's not as straightforward as you would think. And, and I feel like I've had this with every job I've had. I've had expectations and the reality was a lot more complicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fascinating. I can't... That also sounds like, uh, you know, that's almost corporate warfare right there. All the, all the big brands going after each other. What are they doing? We need to do it better. Blah, 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 blah. Of course. I'm sure there's a spreadsheet somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. So that takes us up to uh, the beginning of last year, 2020. Yes. Nothing much happened in 2020, as I remember. No, um, no. I'm, I mean, we could skip that one and we can just get back to yeah. <laughs> now. Um, yeah, that last year was quite interesting. I was in the middle of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I felt a bit stuck generally with what I, where my career was going because I wasn't sure what was going to happen with, with the job that I was in, which was the maternity cover. Um, yeah. I was promised things here and there, but then I understood that they would be challenging to deliver because you know, <laughs> things you can think of essentially corporate leadership changes, not the right time. And then COVID yep. happened. I just realized this was just not going to happen for me. Um, yeah. And um, it was quite stressful. I had to go through a redundancy for the first time in my life. And I had 
kind of I was okay with it, but I also didn't realize how much it would affect me because I was okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay to leave. I mean, I still get the redundancy package and so on, but I was still worried about it. And someone who is very, very okay with change, <laughs> it shocked me. Yeah, well, but sometimes you know these well these things happen when you least expect them a lot of the time. And uh, you know, once again, nobody gives you the playbook on how you're supposed to be able to respond to this and what you're mm. supposed to do next. You know, you you've basically just got to take responsibility responsibility for regrouping yourself and figuring it all out. Mm. I think, yeah, it was a good opportunity to really sit down and think about what I want to do. I'm sure lots of people have said that about last year. I did also take a lot of time to do nothing and not think. So I will. I'm not like yeah. a perfect individual who figured no, out my that, life. That's actually. <laughs> I I would always suggest somebody who's been given that opportunity through a, a redundancy to do exactly the same thing because you know, it, it actually makes you. I think puts you in a position to make much better decisions. And history will tell us that the vast majority of people who are made redundant, it ends up being the best thing that ever happened to them, although it just doesn't feel like it at the time. Mm. Yeah, I think the first consultation meeting, second consultation meeting feels more like the end of the world. And then once you're kind of out of there, you're at the end of this second week of being sort of by yourself, you're like, oh, okay. I think I think it was the right thing. And yeah. in hindsight, I mean, it's just something that happened. It's a thing. It was nothing to do with my performance. I, I know that for a fact. And it's just something that you have to almost remind yourself by going through that process. Um, it's like, it's not you. It's the job. Yeah, <laughs> and just so like on. a breakup. It's not yeah. you, it's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because it's not a subject that, that comes up. Uh, a lot in the the, the stories that, that I've told so far. It's part of my story. I have also been made redundant in, in my life. And and actually, I think, it, you know, for the vast majority of people on any kind of career path, there's almost an inevitability that you probably have to face something like this at some point in your career. So we definitely should talk about it openly and uh, and and talk about, you know, the word redundant is quite a harsh word mm. to hear. Uh, when you hear it for the first time, I am now redundant, but it's just actually, it's the role that's redundant. It's not the human. Mm-hmm. And um, you just got to remember that and and just, you know, re-figure out your value and go and figure out where you need to put it. Absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of people went through that last year. And while it's something you may just want to mention, because, well, of course, every, lots of people went through redundancy, um, yeah. but it's also something that Everyone has their own individual experiences, whether it was one off redundancy, a couple of people, or a whole sort of organization that was cut mm. because of yep. budgets or other reasons. It still impacts you as an individual, and I think you have to understand that. Like we, we, we don't we take things personally. I took it personally. I think yeah. it was the, my first reaction was, "Huh, okay, I'm just gonna walk around this huge building in the middle of Denham and go outside for a walk and." be upset about it for a moment because I'm allowed to be upset about it for a moment. Um, I didn't see it coming at all. I saw something kind of coming, but I wasn't really sure what what it would be or what it would look like. And uh, I think either way it will take you by surprise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have um, also, I suppose then at that time as well, you you kind of have the double whammy of the fact that now you are in the middle of a pandemic and the world is closing down. And job opportunities weren't exactly growing on trees. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that was an that was a whole other thing, and, and not to kind of make it darker, but at the same time, my husband had also lost his job, and so we were both like, "Oh, right, cool." Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, It's not. It, it. I felt like it was one of those things in life when things happen, they happen at the same time. And I wanted a change, and it happened. Everything. Yeah. I feel like COVID happened because I felt like I wanted a change. It's all your life. fault. Is that what um, you're saying? I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you asked the universe, and the universe went, "Oh, we need to help Maria out. Let's uh, let's send a pandemic in." Sort <laughs> no, I just wanted to travel. I think that really that was the wrong order. They got the wrong side of the sticks. Let's say. Um, yeah. No, definitely. But not to dwell on the redundancy. Um, yeah, I kind of took some time off and um, figured out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And of course, in reality, there aren't many jobs of that kind that I used to do. They aren't mm. necessarily that critical for operation sort of thing. And I looked back and I was like, what are some of the most enjoyable projects that I've done? What are the most enjoyable things that I've done? And that was really the combination of the brand management and the loyalty program that, that I've had is covering that whole guest experience from a conceptual side of things. What mm. does it look like? And having, like, I always rely on my operational background, even if it is sort of just in restaurants, but I still understand the empathy and the challenges of working with people face to face. And when I speak with uh, hotel employees, restaurant employees, I, I can sympathize. I'm not, I'm not just going to give them a manual I made up without involving them in the process, so to say. Um, yeah. And uh, whether it's the breakfast concept or whether it's the meeting concept or how should we develop the branding proposition, essentially, what do we stand for as a brand, whether that's Hotel Indigo, Intercontinental or something more independent. That's something that I really, really loved doing and I want to do more of that. So I decided I'm going to give it a go and do that, whether that is freelance consulting, whether that's you know, taking on a role that may be more full-time, whether that, when that does come about, <laughs> because never really know. Um, yeah. But yeah, exploring all the opportunities and building myself as a brand on the internet, so to say, um, as a whole other sort of new challenge that I'm currently working through. That's using all my extroversion towards that and then using all my introversion to be by myself at home, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> yeah, but I do, I think... Well, let's talk about the, the Savvy Hotelier, because um, how did that come about? Oh, yes. That kind of came about about two years ago, um, as I was going through my own what I want to do next process and how how did I get to where I, where I am now. So two years ago, I was still just about entering that uh, first that, the few weeks of the loyalty role. Um, mm. I realized really how much I know, having had these few years of experiences in the corporate side, how maybe helpful they could have been for me just a few years before, just to get that perspective and understanding like, okay, here's how the business works, not the operational side of the hotels or the tourism, but the business, the, the business stuff that you study when you study business, but kind of sometimes skips um, a little bit when you study hospitality. And I wanted to just share that stuff in my head. That was the original idea is like, how can I share this information with other students and graduates currently trying to make their life choices so to say and look for opportunities and that was where it came about I was through trial and error <laughs> I yeah. um, figured out when landed on sort of this concept and I didn't initially want to give any sort of CV tips and advice but in a way 
even just giving basic tips around, yes, even if you have three years of waitress experience, you have a lot of value. How do you frame that? And I'm not no magical sort of whiz in the resumes or anything. They're always different. It varies so much on yourself and the jobs you're applying for in the country that you're in. So there's really no one template. Um, But it's just one way to start. And then to be able to feel confident in your experiences okay, I've had three years of waitressing experience, but I don't want to do that anymore. What can I do? That's the next step really is to kind of applying, thinking about the experience and where you can apply it and how many steps to decide sort of can you take before you figure out, okay, this is a path I want to pursue further, so to say. Yeah. Um, so it just came about me trying to share what I've got in my head <laughs> with more people and still trying to do that. And Again, like you mentioned earlier this year, I was hosting a live panel with Rise Up, doing just that and telling people's stories in their careers. And I can't, I can't tell someone's stories better than they tell themselves. And how did you get to where you are today? And I think we said that on the panel that you were on and all the others is nine out of 10 times, I think it's serendipity. It just happened. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just happened somehow. They're like, oh, now I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, now I am... Um, I was tired of doing the operations. I wanted to do something more. I figured out I wanted to do this and this and that. And it wasn't necessarily careful planning at all for yeah. most of the guests there. I, th- I think it's a really good point, you know. And um, I I did a – I was on somebody else's podcast maybe about this time last year, actually. And it was actually telling my story in the context of, of what that group was all about. And uh, so it was less hospitality-led and it was more about kind of life-led decisions and I, I actually made a comment on the, the the point is that here I am sitting now at the age of 43 and I'm still not 100% sure that I'm doing everything that I should be doing. You know, I still don't wake up and think I've got a, a very clear plan. I have some visions and, and things that I'm working towards going. And But I, I also i am completely cool with that. I don't have... I don't beat myself up about, you know, having this grand plan to get me through to retirement and, you know, and that's the end of it. Life's too rich for that. I think, you know, you've just got to be open to opportunity as it comes your way. And, you know, if you're too focused on the plan, you won't see the opportunity sometimes that that comes right in front of your eyes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. And not to diss people who have a plan. If you have a plan, absolutely I'm, not. I'm super, yeah, yeah. I'm super jealous of you. I'm so. I'm happy super you jealous too. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share how you figured out this plan with us, please? Yeah. Um, but also, um, if you have a plan, you just have to understand that sometimes things will pop up, and you have to adjust your plan. Um, yeah. Whether that's COVID or something much smaller, just an kind of hidden opportunity that you you just need to keep your eyes open for and uh, be able to take, even if it may seem like. Why would I do that? But actually, here's another side to why that could be a valuable thing for you and your uh, long-term experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are you? What other stuff are you up to at the moment? Because <laughs> well, you're 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 definitely the. We, we talked about this before we turned the microphone on, but you are the epitome of the COVID p- pivot. <laughs> yeah, if I've had to keep myself busy to do to do various things really i've spent a bit of time more time on savvy hotelier after sort of being locked at home so to say because all of a sudden i was like oh i have this free time i can focus more on the thing i really enjoy doing which is kind of completely a hobby just helping uh people figure things out but uh, Mm -hmm. on the other side i do have to figure out a way to make an income and 
you know make my make something more of myself so to say and yeah many things here and there but at the moment i'm working for otolo which is a new hospitality community platform uh, sort of networking community community sharing and just building connections but it's all based in mentoring so you find you can find a mentor you if you are a mentor looking for new sort of people to coach you can go there as well or if you're just looking for a hospital specific community that's it and i really really love that work as well um it's still within what i what i love doing is program development and experiences of uh, people within the platform even though it's just digital it is still within uh, very much what i love and yeah working on uh, building that guest experience freelance consulting business i'd say kind of keeping me quite busy all of those things with savvy hotelier and myself and trying to be an active content creator on linkedin and the internet um yeah lots of new skills um sales skills business development skills and marketing skills and so on so yeah there's nothing like trying to do it yourself than to teach you all of those things at once yeah well but i well i take my hat off to you because you've definitely not sat around and waited for something to happen you've gone out there and you've you know you've created something and you talked about brand you, you know, I would guess that there's a lot more people know who you are now than this time last year, just by the the content that you've created. And, and you know, the fact that you obviously care about this industry deeply, which I, you know, is a really endearing feature of you. And I, and I think you know, I, I completely salute all of the work that you've done uh, in the in the last year. And before, but I didn't know you then. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Phil. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's nothing like a hosting a live panel every week that really gets you out there to yeah. uh, reach the, out the... to new people. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it, well, and it also sharpens your senses, right? Because you've got to be on it to, um, you know, not miss. It's all right for me. I can go and edit this and, you know, cover up all my mis- my mistakes. But when you're doing something live, there's nowhere to hide. Absolutely. And I think it's I, that's one of the things I really enjoy because having tried many things with Savvy Hotelier, videos was one of those things on YouTube, if anyone wants to kind of <laughs> entertain themselves slightly. Um, there, there are some there, of, like that, uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a couple of them there. And um, I've, I enjoy the live stuff a lot more because I feel like all this stuff goes into the prepping. When it's live, you just say it. If it's wrong, you fix it and then you just move on. Yeah. There's no post-editing, there's no fiddling, there's none of that extra judgment of yourself, um, so to say, of what you could have done better when you were actually filming it, so on. Um, yeah. So really, really enjoyed those. And kind of yeah, planning virtual events is by doing, essentially, is kind of trial by fire, so to say. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say the one that I was on, I, I was, the minute that you said we're live, uh, I was blown away by the the quality, like the the production that you put on was um, it was just it was first rate, really really brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I recommend uh, everybody give it a go. <laughs> yeah, go, I'm just sorry I, I couldn't back up the quality of the production with the quality of the uh, content that came out of my mouth. But there oh, we are. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. No, it's it was all brilliant. It was all brilliant. I now I have to take advantage of that content I've created. Now it's another thing on my to do list is to really repurpose that because there really are lots of nuggets from guests like yourself, and um, I think I've had about. I want to say 50 guests or so in total yeah. that I could really use and 
start resharing because not everyone's going to go watch a whole hour of us babbling about our lives and careers. But if oh really? No, oh God. apparently oh, not. Can you imagine? <laughs> Um, but there's really, really lots of really good nuggets of information there. So it's just something next on my to-do list. And maybe now that I've committed a live here, maybe I'll have to actually do it. Yeah, yeah, there we are. No going back now. And I'm not editing that out. So um, I, know, I, know, I know I told you you could edit anything out that you wanted, but no. Okay, fine. Having, I should, I should have one. had my dog barking at this particular moment. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, great. Well, I mean, what a what a cracking story, and in in some ways, it feels like you're just getting started. Mm. Um, but uh, I want to go back to something that you you mentioned all the way back at the beginning, which was your favorite work trip. I told you Ooh. I was making a note of it. That's good, and I, and I did. So yeah, tell tell us about that. There sounds like there's a story here. Oh, I I love it. I just uh, mind blowing. Um, it's part of a project I was working on for the Intercontinental Brand. We were working on kind of like a two bespoke visual identities for some of our um, for flagship hotels. And the, the visual identity, there was still going to be intercontinental hotels, uh, but it was just more of a differentiating them more of the premium side of things. And it was individual initiative by the owner and I was kind of supporting it. But as part of it, I got to go to those two hotels on a business trip for two, three days um, and learn everything about the hotel, about the destination, experience, the location, so to say. Um, mm. And one of them was Cannes and uh, tough life <laughs> it was really difficult <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i came back from a two-week holiday straight repacked my bag next day went back straight into the uh, airport again and flew to Cannes. And, and, that, uh, and that would be the is it the intercon can yes yes yeah which is uh, I, I've, had, I've actually had breakfast at that hotel I've had also had breakfast at that hotel um, a couple of times on that particular trip, but um, yeah, it was, it was undergoing a huge renovation, been a lot, a lot of investment put into it. So they wanted to really elevate that whole guest experience within the property. And visual mm. identity is just part of the stuff that guests see in terms of you know, the printed and non-printed assets. But there was more in terms of the positioning within the market that we were doing as well. And South of France is a very interesting market. It has lots of luxury hotels. It's got Monaco nearby and um, also compares itself to other destinations that aren't in South of France because of the type of guests that travel to Cannes or Monaco. They also travel to Paris and you kind of almost have to uh, look at these other uh, destinations as, as benchmarks as well. Yeah. But as part of this trip, we discovered Cannes. We did a tour with a tour guide we learned all about the history we learned all about the hotel and it's amazing history and how some of the most seasoned staff um, worked there for 20 years 15 years um, the gm was sort of there for about a year and i feel like he was the shortest employed employee at the whole property right. <laughs> um, because it's just such a family sort of business uh, there in um, in the south of france but i got to go to monaco for a day and I got to see all of the luxury hotels in Monaco and dine in these luxury hotels and restaurants. And it just still blows my mind. I went to see, I think it's called the the Hermitage is right next to the Parisian, I believe, hotel. Correct me, I didn't really double check the names before. Uh, the before. Yeah, I, I can't back you up because I, I, yeah, I have been, but it's <laughs> such a long time ago. I've got, I've got no recollection of what's there. 
Yeah, and there these two key hotels in Monaco next to each other, connected by an underground spa. So you, the oh, wow. all of all of yeah, exactly all of the guests from each hotel can go uh, down the lifts and kind of through the corridors into this huge spa, gym, health, wealth facilities um, that are co-run by these right. two properties. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, I think maybe sort of, they're definitely talking to each other in in a very uh, kind of strange way that two competitors hotels don't normally talk but if they know that their guests are staying at the other property they will call down to each other they'll talk to each other all the time and like if they're in a spa right now and because it's a whole lot of communication um which is really fascinating in that sense as well and recently one of the properties had been refurbished but when you refurbish something in monaco you don't just refurbish it you take down the building completely you yeah. rebuilt the traditional facade in the exact same way that it was rebuilt because you're not allowed to destroy the original facade <laughs> and then you built the hotel next to the facade so in in, in monaco ways it's um, it's a whole other <laughs> no, refurbishment is something else um other yeah. than sort of the rest of the world almost well they have um the you know, very limited land space there, right? So the um, I know that they've actually started creating more land off the coast to to get more properties into uh, into the country. Basically, yeah, it, it's um, quite crowded. Yes. Yeah, it's um, that's a phenomenal place, one of a kind. Yeah, and it's really it's really fantastic. We had um, some drinks and dinner there, and really blew blew me away. It was completely something else, and. It was all it was business trips. It was all kind of paid for in in a, in a strange yeah. way, and, and I would never do that myself. Like not at this position in my life whatsoever. And having gone straightly from a holiday holiday to this trip, I felt like I was just having an extended holiday in some way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you you said all the way back at the beginning that you wanted to get paid to travel, and exactly. Uh, uh, voila. Exactly. Oh, to add to that, though, I do have to caveat. I did have to, you know sleep about three four hours so i had to do some work before breakfast after dinner and those right. sort of things so it isn't oh, um it tough. isn't that's the point of the business <laughs> travel it all looks fancy and glamorous but it is a lot of work um yeah but I, I think regardless of how hard you work i think it's very stimulating isn't it to to go to to somewhere new to see new things and especially when you've got to have a direct input on the experience of somewhere as well that you know all of these experiences for you help form that uh, as well and and actually it's pretty essential for you to go and see the property I would imagine absolutely yeah we're working with a creative agency and kind of understanding where they're coming from when they put forward their propositions is for us to obviously what we know about the property but um seeing what the hotel has shared with us and it's really a lot of kind of balancing all the different things and making sure that whatever the output is is relevant and it's kind of you know also competitive we want yeah. to make sure you're leading the market so to say and one of these favorite things i get to do like on these sort of trips is to see the competition and they really tell you everything about all these properties because they want to show off and they know that we come from this property they know that we're part of the competition but they still want to show off they still want to tell us everything um, yeah. that they do on their sales sort of walkthroughs and things um, and it's incredible you learn like so much about how different properties operate hotel brands and how it all works within that particular city whether that's amsterdam Cannes, or london or something else um yeah it's a whole yeah. a lot of variety of hospitality yeah it's um and i think as well with that 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 whole 
there's almost like this co-opetition kind of mentality in in that space you know it's actually if they keep everybody on side and we're all showing each other the new innovations that we have it keeps everybody growing it keeps everybody getting better which means that ultimately you, they, you know you can all ask for better rates and so on and so forth and you know so if you all help each other out then you know you all win mm, definitely and I think hospitality definitely should benefit from more competition like this yeah. um, on a global scale rather than just the local and having big brands, ISGs, Marriott's and Hilton's of the world com- cooperating on something would be, I think, fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, uh, before we went into COVID, I think there was a lot maligned uh, around big brand. But in actual fact, you know, the industry needs big brand more than ever. You know, the industry is is what gives the independents a, a louder voice uh, at the table when you know in the in the bigger decisions that need to be made. So I uh, I'm 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 big brand I'm behind big brand um, as much as I am behind independents. Definitely, place for everybody everywhere, isn't it? And yeah. there's always the reason why there's so many brands now launched by these big companies is because there's so many customer needs and guest needs, and they vary and they depend on country to country, state to state, and even just within cities and things. So, yeah. um, whether you want to stay at an Airbnb or hotel or boutique hotel or hostel or whatever sort of is your jam, there will be something there for you. Mm, absolutely what a wonderfully positive way to round it off so if people want to get a hold of you to learn more about you and what you're up to what's the best method for them to do that um you can find me on linkedin maria malania um you can find me i mean you can't can't miss you on linkedin to be honest (laughs) there's a big yellow background on behind my (laughs) face so yeah um that may have been part of the the strategy there as well um but yeah there's a linkedin obviously a great way to reach me to uh just connect and stay connected for you know however long you would like to be connected uh you can also follow me on uh instagram for savvy hotelier it is savvy hotelier just together and yeah, I'm sure from there you can find lots of other, but those are the two main um, communication channels that I am present on. Wicked. Great stuff. Amazing. Well, look, thank you very, very much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Uh, another really interesting insight into to the world and, and the, all the variety of ways and means of moving forward there is in, in this industry. So I, I thank you very much for, for spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh it's, it's nice uh, to that you're giving this platform for um, anyone really in the industry to just share their stories and connect with so many more professionals. Yeah, I, it was important for me that, that we tell as wide a variety as possible and not just make it all about founders and CEOs and, and big cheeses. And, it, you know, whilst I'll always happily entertain a conversation with any big cheese, you know, there's a whole industry in and around and under that as well. And it, it was important to me to, to give a voice to as many people as possible. Yeah, and hopefully we can support, uh, inspire lots of students and graduates to take chances and get experiences, you know, not not to be so worried um, about figuring out the career plans. Just, you know, yeah. take it Look, take it as it comes. <laughs> well, the, the big moral from today's story is, is that if you, you know, if you don't have a plan, you end up having breakfast at the Intercontinental in Cannes. There we are. Yeah, exactly. And dinner <laughs> in Monaco, the exact same yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks very much, Maria. Take care. Thank you so much.
Bye-bye. And there we have it. A massive thank you to Maria for coming on the show to share her story demonstrating that in uncertain times, you still have the ability to control your attitude and what you can achieve. Huge congratulations to Maria for what she has done in this last year. We'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.